This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 206. Well, just ahead, why yet another EV maker is struggling to keep moving. Plus, we'll hear from Lachlan Murdoch on the ongoing cost of legal troubles at Fox. And a powerhouse of the cloud, F5. The CEO joins us to talk about why the slowdown in tech spending might not be there and why he says... If it is there, it's quite temporary. That story and more after sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With Era, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A.com. And there are so many ways to listen to the Drill Down podcast. You ready for the list, Isaac? Here we go. I am. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Stitcher, Audible, Amazon, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Deezer, Listen Notes, Player FM, and more. But when you do so, click on the subscribe button, follow us to catch every show. That clicking sound is such a sweet, sweet sound. We're all for it. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We explain the business stories behind Stocks on the Move. Joining me as always, executive producer Isaac Webster from Los Angeles. Isaac? Thanks for joining us. Uh, well, thank you for having me. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? I want to start with Polestar. You've seen those cars driving around the streets. Well, no one actually moves in the traffic in L.A. You've seen those cars <laughs> sitting on the freeway in L.A.? Yo, yeah. There's a couple of Polestar cars in my neighborhood. Uh, Polestar trades um, on the NYSE at PSNYW, PSNYW, and shares have dropped almost 38% since the start of 2023 and 70% since they started trading on the NYSE. I don't, I'm not NYSE. I know some people's, oh, that's not my big, the New York Stock Exchange. And, and, and I'll tell you that on different uh, platforms, the ticker sometimes is PSNY. There's, it was a merge into a SPAC once upon a time. So it had different tickers over its brief existence. But on Thursday, the company reported earnings and uh, trimmed their full year production guidance saying the Polestar 3 SUV will be delayed until next year because of software issues. And the company also says it's going to cut 10% of its workforce to reduce costs. These are not the signs of strength you might imagine seeing from a growing EV maker when we're seeing so much excitement about EVs. But competition's here. And I think the question, Isaac, is, is what does that competition of the traditional car makers making electric vehicles mean for the old Old's maybe not the right word, but the, the existing people like Polestar and Tesla and others who've been doing uh, electric cars for a while. Yeah, you know, I've been wondering if we're going to start seeing some in consolidation within the auto industry with the traditional automakers trying to gobble up some of these EV startups or EV players that have been in the game for a while. Or just squashing them, right? Just, just or squashing them, got yeah. the game better. And maybe there's not room for it. You know, you know, they're not so rare anymore just because they're making an electric vehicle. Exactly. 
And so one of the things we look at here is with Polestar, um, if you look on the balance sheet, right, they can talk about the delaying this car and their numbers are up, but or some of the numbers are up, some of the numbers aren't up. But if you look at the deposits, the advanced payments that customers are putting down, those numbers are down, and they're down meaningfully, about uh, 20 to 30 percent uh, in euros. It went from 41 million to 33 million sequentially. That suggests that gross new orders in a period may have been, you know, less than 12,000 units. They don't put that number out there clearly, but uh, it does suggest that uh, there's at least fewer new bookings, fewer new deposits coming in. Here's Polestar CEO Thomas Engenlath talking about those uh, slowdown in new orders. Well, isn't that an indication just simply that we as well just simply are able to deliver faster to our customers? I mean, the order book has always two sides to it. A strong order book, yes, as nice as it is, it means as well that customers, of course, especially in the last year, had to wait quite long for the delivery. This normalizing is as well what you read in these numbers that this, that this is in, indeed is shrinking, which for the customer might be a very, very good effect. So for that reason, don't interpret this number now over into interest going down. Um, th that's where, um, again, order intake is something that um, is across the regions varying and generally in the first quarter in the automotive industry is generally, of course, as well, less intense than you would have it in the second half of the year. And that trend this year, we exactly see again happening that, of course, um, the, 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 the fatigueness in January, February is something that is with spring picking up. And um, yeah, this effect we see in 23 again. So is it something we're going to see? Is this just a temporary uh, uh, a blip on the radar? We don't know yet. Uh, the company says probably. But uh, with all this competition coming on, with the signs of economic slowdown, we're going to look at the different companies, all the companies we listen to, for what uh, consumer spending is like and what it might mean for these companies, whether it's macro or micro. There's definitely problems at Polestar. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at the Fox Corporation. Fox Corporation uh, trades under Fox A, F-O-X-A, and shares have dropped over 7% over the past month and are lower by 9% over the past 12 months. A lot of news around Fox, Fox Corp. Indeed, have you been watching Succession? Speaking of fictionalized Fox Corp? <laughs> you know what? I haven't actually seen Succession. I feel like I'm one of the only, I don't like to admit that in mixed company. Um, really? Yeah, I, I, um, it's one of those shows I need to, the, to watch the, on my own. The hundreds, of million, the hundreds of millions of people you just admitted it to. Exactly, exactly. But well, maybe not hundreds. I will get to it eventually. There's just too much good TV out there. Well, uh, the the fictional uh, story of the the Roy family uh, mirrors many yeah. of the things that go on in the Murdoch uh, Empire, a News Corp, and Fox Corp, separate businesses uh, presently. But Fox Corp is the business that oversees the TV stations and Fox News. Uh, and they reported a quarter with 4.1 billion in revenues, up from 3.5 billion the year before in the first quarter of this year. But a $54 million loss, much worse than the uh, first quarter of the previous year of $283 million profit. So, you know, that's a more than $320 million swing. Uh, they blame that on legal costs. And, uh, of course, we've heard about the problems with Fox and their false claims, their knowingly false claims that uh, Dominion voting systems uh, uh, were, were responsible for 
voting, mass voting problems in America that was an, an untrue fact that was repeated on Fox over and over again. They got sued for that. Now, they paid a big, a big number, nearly a billion dollars. But that number is going to come out of the second quarter earnings, not the first quarter. So first quarter, ah. we still saw that big loss. Now, they blame these legal problems. There was an other expense on the income statement of about $719 million in a quarter that compared to $233 million a year before. So it was basically a uh, 300% increase in this other cost. Now, the question was, was it all legal? Probably it wasn't all legal. But if it was, let's just for the sake of argument say that it, it was all legal. Again, they blamed it as, as legal. That means Fox spent about $5 million a day in the first quarter on legal expenses. That, that assumes is... illegal seems working weekends. $5 million a day <laughs> in lawyer bills. Wow. Wow. Is it worth it, Fox? Was it all worth it? Here's another question. Is it over? So uh, this is a quote from their 10Q that came out. From time to time, the company and its news businesses, including Fox News, Media Fox Television stations, and their employees are subject to lawsuits alleging defamation and disparagement, including lawsuits filed by Smartmatic USA and certain affiliates and Dominion Voting Systems. And then it details what, what they were asked for. Now, they mentioned that in a, on April 18th, after the end of the first quarter, uh, the company and subsidiaries uh, reached a settlement agreement with Dominion uh, to pay approximately $800 million to settle that and related lawsuits. Um, but the question is, what does this mean for the Smartmatic suit? What does this mean on an ongoing basis? Here is, for the first time in the Drill Down Podcast, CEO Lachlan Murdoch talking about what he can say about the ongoing litigation with Smartmatic and how that might be different from the Dominion case. I'm obviously limited about what I can say about any ongoing uh, litigation, uh, but I can make uh, the, the following uh, comments in regards to, uh, to Dominion. Uh, and I re uh, referred to some of this in my, in my prepared remarks. Uh, look, as we've stated many times, um, we always acted as a news organization reporting on the newsworthy events of the day which certainly included allegations being made by the sitting president of the United States and his lawyers in the aftermath of a hotly contested presidential election. Now, we have been and remain confident in the merits of our position that the First Amendment protects a news organization's reporting on allegations being made by a sitting president of the United States. However, the Delaware court severely limited our defenses at trial through pretrial rulings. One example being not being able to point to the newsworthy nature of the allegations. So we determined that the best course of action for the company and its shareholders was to settle instead of proceeding with a six-week trial and potentially two or even three years of appeals. Um, as you know, we have, been, we have a pending case with Smartmatic, which is a fundamentally different case than Dominion in that all of our full complement of First Amendment defenses remain and we'll be ready to defend this case surrounding extremely newsworthy events when it goes to trial, likely not until the calendar year uh, 2025. Um, as regards to our, our programming strategy uh, in, in prime time, there's no change to our programming strategy uh, at, at, at Fox uh, News. Um, uh, it's obviously a, a successful uh, strategy. Uh, and uh, 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 as always, you know, we are adjusting our, our programming uh, and our lineup, and that's, uh, that, that's what we uh, continue uh, to do. We are pleased with the, um, uh, the strength of the advertising demand uh, throughout our uh, uh, schedule, uh, but particularly uh, prime time.
And of course, I mean, I, I think I think the real question isn't just these huge payments, uh, payment of a settlement of $800 million, whether or not there's another mil- one in the offing or not, if that case does end up being truly different, you'd expect them to talk, to talk tough. But the other issue has been that major national advertisers have been unwilling to advertise to the audience of Fox. I'm, I'm painting with broad brushes here, but it is true. They're not getting the same advertiser. They have a huge audience, but they're reliant on advertisers like the MyPillow guy because other major mm-hmm. companies just don't want to be associated with what the content is. Uh, and I think there's also a reasonable question. There have been studies about how much the viewers of a, of a given network trust what they're seeing. And Fox rates quite low on, on the trust issue and the gap between what they believe and what they don't believe. Um, uh, we also have seen numbers from Pew Research and others saying that the the trust levels of Republicans for Fox is much greater than the trust levels of Democrats watching Fox News. But generally speaking, of all the networks, the most trusted, the least trusted major national network is Fox News. Do you want to guess what the most trusted is? Um, oh God, I don't know. Uh, is it CNN? It's the Weather Channel. <laughs> okay, okay. I can see that, actually. I wasn't even considering the Weather Channel. It's all because of the great Nora Zemet. Did you yes. work with her as I did at Bloomberg? She's a genius. Just, In any case, she's a, she's she's a, a producer over there. Yeah. And quite trustworthy. Yes. I trust her with anything. In any case, Fox, not so much, uh, according to the research that we've seen about the trust with their viewers. And maybe there's hope that if they get away from saying things that they know to be untrue, their viewers might trust them more and advertisers might trust them with advertising dollars, but that's not their size nationally yet. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at that incredible shrinking business that is the container store. Oh, no. That was just plain out rude. Uh, Container store uh, trades under TCS, and TCF shares have lost 43% since the start of 2023 and are lower by 65% in a year. So not a happy time at the container store, which I have to admit, I really love that store. (laughs) <laughs> and so let's, let's let's look at like enterprise value more useful than market cap because the company has so much debt um uh has about 170 million dollars in debt so uh, a one and a half billion dollar enterprise value in march 2021 has okay. been cut in half since then oh, so in two years the market yeah. the enterprise value is cut in half uh they oh reported God. earnings or uh, revenues in the in the q4 period they just they just reported these of 260 million dollars that's down 15 percent year over year. Mm. Same store sales down 13%. Uh, and they lost a lot of money. Uh, most of that, uh, almost $200 million, most of that because of a, a $200 million uh, impairment charge. They would have been profitable if not for that impairment charge, but I'm not giving them credit for it. They've got 97 stores, actually up from 94 stores from a year ago. But why are these customers spending less money? Is it something about the container store? Is it something about the economy? Well, of course, the head of the container store is not blaming himself. Shocker. Satish Mayorta, uh, the CEO of Container Store, is blaming economic uncertainty. The customer that we're seeing right now is, um, you know, contending with even more with the high interest rates and economic uncertainty. And so they're pulling back on their discretionary spending. Um, I wouldn't say we see them trading down. We see uh, custom spaces still... Um, uh, performing well for us, um, but they're you know in this current environment, um, and we are in a discretionary category. They are 
you know, just thinking about when and how to make those purchases in this current environment. Um, you know, traffic um, is, is, I would say, still double digit down. Uh, we have seen a reduction in average ticket. Uh, when we give customers a compelling reason uh, to come back, whether it's newness or back to college or a promotional campaign, they definitely do engage with us. And so, you know, we, we continue to try to understand the psychological nature of our customers and how best to engage uh, with what they're having to contend with today with the offering that we have. So they are saying they're seeing some strength in the closet remodels, but maybe fewer closets being remodeled. Uh, nonetheless, a container store um, uh, can't seem to contain the, uh, the exodus of their customers. The puns are just unlimited with you today. Let's lay. I should try to keep that dad, those dad jokes to a minimum. All right. Well, coming up next, businesses are spending less on technology. We're see, at least we're seeing a slowdown, not less, but the growth is slowing. But is that really happening inside the CEO of cloud application company F5? Joins us right after this. His name is uh, Francois Loco Duneau, and he maintains that the current slowdown might be quite temporary. That's right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled, technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down podcast. As promised, we are joined right now by the CEO of F5, Francois Loco de Nou. Uh, uh, in spite of my um, seventh grade French pronunciation, he's in Seattle, right here in America. Uh, Francois, glad glad to have you on. Uh, F5 is such an interesting company uh, and a big company at that. Um, I, I thought you could you know give us the elevator pitch since you're at the top of a big building in San in, in, in Seattle. Uh, what what? Uh, uh, what is the business? How do you describe the business in the, what's the, in the elevator pitch? Well, Corey, it's a pleasure to be, uh, to be with you here, uh, you know, from, from Seattle. Uh, so, you know, F5 is a, is a company that is uh, exclusively focused on doing business with other businesses instead of consumers. And so, you know, we're not a consumer name, but your listeners likely interacted with our technology a dozen times today. So the airplane tickets that uh, they book or the streaming service they watch, the posts they make on social media, any uh, you know, use of their banking, uh, mobile banking application or ordering their coffee, all of these things travel through F5 technology uh, because we have been focused for the last uh, 25 years on ensuring that our customers, so large enterprises, that their apps and, and APIs are secure and available and performing to meet the needs of their, um, their customers. Uh, so that's really the focus of the business is securing and delivering the applications that we all use in businesses and as consumers that we all use every single day. And so today we are the only company that can deliver secure and optimize effectively any application anywhere uh, for any business. And so that's a pretty unique position uh, uh, to be in. And to give you a, a sense of the scale of the company, today we protect over four and a half billion web transactions uh, every single day. And we stop over two billion fraudulent logins um, every single day. So it's- Is that fraudulent or mistaken or is there a difference? 
fraudulent. No, no, fraudulent because uh, there, there are a lot. Any of the applications that you use, I'm, I'm going to use your banking application as an example. There are a lot of uh, fraudsters that use automation. Why, why you got to beat up on Silicon Valley Bank? Haven't they had enough? <laughs> no, that's just one of our am, here. I yes. am using financial services at large, but it's true for <laughs> any other application, uh, social media, concerts, any digital experience that you use. Uh, there are fraudsters that use automation to impersonate you and try to log in as a legitimate user only to take over your accounts and do all kinds of things. And F5 has uh, built... Um, AI technology that helps secure against these fraudulent logins. And we protect billions of them every single day. And, and for more context for our listeners, you're doing about 2.7 billion in revenues in the last fiscal year with, uh, with profits. Imagine that in technology, hmm. um, but, uh, but about $300 million in profits, more than $300 million in profits. Yes. You know, last year was our best uh, fiscal year ever. Uh, we reached about $2.7 billion dollars. Um, and, you know, we, we've been able to get there because what we do for large businesses is, is quite unique. You know, we make um, the hard things about applications like security, uh, like distributing applications uh, on a global basis. We make those hard things easier with our technology, which is either software or hardware or software as a service. Uh, and we're really the only company that can deliver across all three of these form factors. Uh, and, and with these capabilities, uh, we, we offer a, a service to our customers that is pretty unique. And that's, that's how we've been able to reach that scale. Now about 70% of your business is recurring revenues. I'm not good at math, but that means about 30% isn't. Describe to me what is that 30%? Is the, are those new opportunities only? Are they one-time uses of services or 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 software or you know what what how, how should we understand that that portion of your business that is not recurring? So all of the business that is recurring is either software subscriptions or um, you know services and and maintenance on on equipment that we have uh, installed for our customers. The part that is not recurring is hardware. So new hardware sales when a customer you know, wants to buy a, a new piece of equipment uh, that we, we install in their environment. Uh, that's a one-time purchase. And, you know, we, we take all the revenue up front and it's not a recurring revenue stream. We've, we've taken all the revenue in that transaction. Uh, and that represents today about, um, you know, 30% of, of the total revenue is really those, um, you know, those hardware sales. But if you look at the uh, total revenue of $2.7 billion, um, one, of the, one of the really striking features about F5 as a company uh, is we are focused entirely on applications, Corey, uh, but within that security has become a big challenge for applications and the identity of the company has um, evolved very rapidly to be one of the largest security companies in the world. Last year, we did more than a billion dollars in revenues in, in security. Uh, and that makes us one of the largest security companies, but also the second largest uh, security company focused exclusively on applications. So we've seen an interesting slowdown in the business of cloud software and even hardware deployment and adoption of, of uh, cloud services, AWS, Google, and so on, so on uh, uh, Microsoft Azure. Uh, you can disagree with that notion, but there have been some analysts writing about this. And, and I wonder if this is a 
First of all, if I'm wrong, feel free. You wouldn't be, you'd be in good company if you told me I was wrong. Um, but it, could this be a situation where people just pulling back from a, a big pandemic boom in cloud spending? Or is it uh, something reflecting our economic times or maybe even maybe a change in the outlook of cloud adoption uh, for other reasons? No, I think, I think uh, Corey, if you look at the trends, it, it, overall, I think you'll have more and more um, applications in public clouds over time, even though there is a bit of a, a what you know, I perceive to be a, a temporary pullback. But the, the Uber phenomenon, uh, Corey, that I don't think yet everybody understands, it, which is really, really important, is this. Applications are becoming more distributed. And, they, and by that, I mean... They are going not into a single cloud, uh, AWS, they're going in, in Azure, they're going in, in Google Cloud, they're going in private clouds, they're going increasingly at the edge close to the users. And that's because businesses uh, you know, have realized that to offer the digital experiences that their customers want, uh, you know, not every cloud is, is best suited for an app or for a component of an app. So increasingly you have apps where you know, the, the shopping cart of an app may be in one cloud, but the inventory application is still on-prem. And the images that, you know, you, you look at on this app are, are stored at the edge. And so a single app can be distributed in multiple environments. And, you know, the, the, that actually is great because it creates much better digital experiences, but it also adds a lot of complexity around networking these applications together, networking these components together and securing all of these uh, applications. And F5 has been really entirely focused on solving the complexity of distributed applications because that is the world uh, that we are going in, is application distributed across all these environments. Uh, and the complexity of making sure that these applications work when they're distributed, that they are secure, that they perform 24 by seven, um, it is a, a incredible complexity there that F5 is really uh, the only company that is capable of solving because of the focus we have had on application security and delivery across multi-cloud environments. So how does an economic slowdown affect you right here? And I'll, I'll just say there is an economic slowdown. We're not in a recession, but, uh, but there, you know, pe people looking at their wallet twice before they whip out the, uh, the gold card. Well, I, you know, I think the, the economic slowdown at the moment is really a, a macro-driven um, kind of you know, phenomenon of uncertainty. What we're seeing in a lot of businesses is that they have some uncertainty about the future because of geopolitical uh, you know, volatility, because of what's going on with the interest rates and, and inflation. And so you know, the slowdown isn't necessarily driven by you know, things changing in the way that people are deploying applications or how much uh, digital matters in their businesses. Right, it's but we are, but we are seeing people. a slowdown in technology spending, even though there is growth in the consumption of, of technological products, the growth in the use of apps, growth in online shopping and every, every other aspect of online life continues. But we're seeing us in other companies, we're seeing a slowdown in spending on cloud-based everything. Um, are you and, and, suggesting and my, you're not going to see that? I'm, su I'm suggesting, Corey, that it is temporary. Uh, they, that if you look at the trend, by the way, as you know, Corey, there was a significant acceleration spend during the pandemic. Maybe there was a, an over acceleration a little bit in, in technology. And so you're seeing a correction around that at the moment. 
But overall, when you look at the long-term trend of spending technology, uh, you will see that that will continue to increase. The reason for that is because overall, every business is becoming more digital. Every business is becoming more driven by applications. Uh, it, the, the, the measure of competition today is way more about the digital experiences that, that you can offer. And so businesses will continue to invest to build the infrastructure for these applications and to build the, the, the security for these applications and to be able to offer great digital experiences. Uh, so yes, there is, you know, in the short term, absolutely, there are turbulences in technology spending and every company is seeing it. But over time, you'll continue to see investment in, uh, in applications because apps run the world today and increasingly they will, they will run the world in the future. What are your top two priorities for the next year? So our uh, biggest priorities, um, Corey, we've revolved around this phenomenon of applications becoming distributed. We, we are seeing, so the first priority is we are seeing our customers want to deploy apps across multiple environments, and it is very complex. And you know, customers don't have the skills to go figure out you know, how do I um, deploy an app in AWS and how do I do the same thing in Azure and on-prem and having to replicate that across all these environments is way too complex. And so we have packaged that up in, in our software as a service solution to abstract all this complexity and create a platform that automates this uh, so that our customers can uh, deploy applications across environment um, in, in much, you know, in a way that's much easy, much easier than what they, they they would be doing without us. So that's priority number one is helping our customers with that. And priority number two is securing these environments. Uh, the you know we say at F5 that complexity is the enemy of security, uh, and in this complex distributed apps environment, there is a bigger surface for fraudsters to attack these applications. Uh, and we have made significant investment to be able to secure all applications across all environments. Those two um, uh, you know, solution areas for our customers are the biggest priorities for the company going forward. It's interesting. Um, yeah, you know, about half your business uh, for listeners is, is services, global services, as you define it, um, which means bodies, putting bodies against problems to try to, to try to come up with these better solutions. It's interesting. And I wonder what this hiring environment is like for you right now, where over the last decade, we've had great shortages of tech workers. And uh, to all the tech workers listening to this who just got laid off from Facebook, Google, whatever, um, they're not feeling that, <laughs> Amazon, uh, up where you are. Um, what, what's it like for you hiring right now? Um, is, is it easier to get the people you want? Is it harder to uh, justify the heads you've got? You know, Corey, it's a little easier than I would say it was 12 months ago, uh, you know, because of the, the change in the landscape in, in technology. That being said, you know, critical talent in, in the areas that we're in is still, um, you know, is still hard to find. And it's a, it's a strong, it's a war for talent in, in the areas that, you know, data scientists, um, you know, uh, folks with experience in machine learning and, and AI, uh, folks with experience in cybersecurity. As you know, you know, there's a significant shortage of cybersecurity skills, not just in the U.S., but around the world. And so, you know, in the areas where we compete, uh, talent is still scarce. Uh, and, you know, we, we have built a, a very unique culture at F5 uh, that is quite attractive for talent, allowed us both to attract talent and to retain 
talent. And we have, um, you know, we, we operate in 47 offices around the globe. So we have a, a surface for attracting talent that is pretty broad. But if, even with that said, you know, I would say it's still, uh, it's still challenging to get all the talent we need. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating time. I, I, it's, I was trying to write, find the right metaphor. I did a national TV broadcast a few weeks ago. And I, they were talking about layoffs, layoffs, layoffs. And I said, you know, employment's up. And the anchor looked at me like I was insane. Uh, but it, it is interesting in certain areas. Uh, it's still super tight. And uh, I wonder, you know, if you start to look also more globally, if you start to look for places you can get talent because you can't get it in Seattle. Well, we, we've expanded, um, you know, from from Seattle, uh, Corey, where we, of course, we continue to hire in Seattle, but we have a big presence in in Silicon Valley. Uh, we have development centers uh, outside of the U.S., uh, you know, including in India and and in Europe. Um, and you know, we've also hired quite a bit of, of remote talent, uh, you know, especially over the last couple of years. Um, the Seattle talent market is pretty tight, as you know. We have the you know, a lot of companies, including the big cloud companies that are here. Uh, and so, you know, while Seattle remains our... Um, I assume you're not talking about Nordstrom's. You're probably talking about <laughs> Amazon and Microsoft. No, I'm please. talking about Microsoft and Amazon and, and Google and Oracle and other players who are here. Um, and, you know, we're, we're happy to compete with talent with the, the best companies um, out here. But we've expanded outside of Seattle pretty significantly. Um, luckily, we got, I got I got my ridiculous line on. In any case, I'll let you continue with that answer about uh, uh, hiring from uh, from uh, how tough it is to hire in Seattle. Please, Francois. Yeah, I I, w- I was saying the the you know we're, we're very uh, you know happy to be competing with the best tech companies here in in uh, Seattle. Microsoft, Amazon, uh, Google, Facebook is here. Um, and, you know, with, with largely with the culture that we have created at F5, we call it a human first and high performance culture. Uh, and, and we feel it's the, the strongest way in which we retain our talent and also attract new talent that uh, wants to participate in that. But frankly, um, probably the, the, you know, the biggest um, attraction at F5 is about what we do. You know, the world and the future of the world is about applications. And I joined F5 because I wanted to be part of a, a, a company that would be so important in the future of the digital world uh, and would you know, kind of define you know, the, 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 the future of the world as it relates to applications. And so um, people who want to work on inter- interesting problems, helping you know, build a better digital world are attracted to the, the mission of F5. Uh, fascinating company indeed. And uh, as you mentioned, people are using it daily, whether they know it or not. Companies are buying it uh, in size, as we see, and on a regular basis. Francois Local Denou, the CEO of F5. Thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Corey. It's a pleasure to be with you. All right. Coming up next on the drill down the bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot more about F5 right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage, connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And let the rest of the world know what you like about the Drill Down podcast. Leave us a review on your favorite podcast app and tell them what the Drill Down's doing for you. 
And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. Right, we are back with the drill down bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about F5. Isaac, you were just saying, great big company nobody ever pays any attention to. Yeah. It's enterprise, in it's enterprise, it's in Seattle, so it doesn't exist, right? If it was a dumb app, everybody would love it. I mean, and, you know, just like our guest said, little do we know, most of us are using F5 products and have no idea. Well, to that point, uh, a lot of the companies that use F5 know they're going to have to continue to lose uh, use F5. So that'd be worth looking at the deferred revenue. That is uh, the amount of money people have already paid them and planned for the deployments of the software that's about to happen. Uh, given that they're, they're trailing your revenues, as I mentioned in the interview, it's about $2.7 billion. Uh, how big is it? How big is that deferred revenue? Well, there's your bite. Deferred revenue for this company uh, at the end of the last quarter was $1,760,000,000. That's about two-thirds of last year's revenue sitting on their balance sheet waiting to be deployed as they roll out that software and deliver the services and software that they promised to deliver. That's how revenue recognition works. Deferred revenue works. But uh, uh, these guys clearly are what lots of companies are counting on and have literally paid in advance uh, to receive those uh, services and products going forward, one billion seven hundred sixty million dollars. You know, this explains our our listeners can't see it, but when we record this show, there is a video component. We're all looking at each other, talking to each other, and this explains why Francois looks so well rested. <laughs> I mean, He's who would disturbingly good looking? He can sleep well at CEO. night. Well, he can sleep well at night just sitting on that billion dollars of deferred revenue. Uh, and yet he's not. The company's promised double-digit uh, earnings per share growth in the next year, uh, regardless of whatever's going on in the financial conditions of the world. So uh, impressive growth continuing from F5. Uh, and we are impressed by your patience. You've listened to an entire Drill Down podcast, and we are so grateful for that. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. And the Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.